two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon podcast. I am seriously excited about today's podcast because we're talking about an education solution that everyone wants and no one's looking for. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that a little bit later. But I really think that today's podcast is going to blow your mind. If you have children or grandchildren in school today, I'm so glad that Emily Hanford agreed to come on the program because when I first heard her talking about reading, it was funny because I'm listening to her talk about how we're teaching reading in schools and I'm going, yeah, uh uh-huh, we've done that. Yes, my kids are learning that way. And then it's this shocking moment where I'm like, yeah, and we're having all those same struggles. This is really a hard way to learn to read. So I'm so excited because she's going to talk all about this. Just before we solve all of the reading problems in the United States, I want to quickly talk about another big one, and that is our health, because you can't put a price on your health. And I personally need to stay energized and keep doing what I love every day. And I'm able to do that because I get the maximum servings of fruit and nutrition of fruits and vegetables. I rely on balance of nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule to give me the maximum nutrition of 31 real whole fruits and veggies every single day. Balance of Nature is giving all listeners 35% off any first preferred order plus free shipping with a free promo code TUTOR. Just go to balanceofnature.com and enter that promo code TUTOR to get started today. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule are powered after an advanced vacuum cold process, keeping the maximum nutrition intact. Put your health first the easy way with Balance of Nature fruits and veggies in a capsule. Get 35% off your first preferred order shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR at balanceofnature.com. I feel confident about my health because of Balance of Nature. Check out all the testimonials from people like you on their website to see how Balance of Nature is making a difference in their lives. Go now to balanceofnature.com and get 35% off your first preferred order shipped free with promo code TUTOR. All right, let's welcome in 
Emily Hanford to the podcast. Emily is a senior education correspondent at American Public Media and host of the six-part podcast series, Sold a Story, How Teaching Kids to Read Went So Wrong. Emily, I want to tell you that the way this was introduced to me is obviously I ran for office and a big part of our platform was that I felt if you can't read, you can't do anything. And I come from manufacturing. So in my world, people, I think people wrongly assume, oh, anybody can go into a shop and work and everything is work instructions. You have to be able to read to do anything in life. And after the race, a friend of mine sent me your podcast series. And I was like, oh, what could this be about? And I just went from one to the next to the next. And I couldn't, I sent it to my mom. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we've been dealing with. I have four girls. One of my, my youngest, my youngest two are twins. One of my youngest, the, the school said to me in first grade, we don't really know what's wrong. We think she's dyslexic. She's got a really big problem reading. And then it was like, I mean, I almost feel emotional when I say this because I listened to your podcast and I was like, this is why, this is why. So, so I'm going to let you talk. I just, I had to tell you that because it's been so eye opening for me. And I feel like we're missing the boat when we talk about everything, even if we're talking about school choice and everything, no matter what, there are still schools teaching to read the wrong way. Okay. So go tell us, tell the people what you know. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. You know, the story that you just told is a story that I've heard from so many parents. So Mm -hmm. the way this started for me was about six years ago now. Um, I actually started getting interested in this because I was interviewing college students who were been, had been put in these so-called remedial reading and writing classes, and they were telling me their stories about struggling with reading. Um, and here they were in college, and they were essentially being told, you're not ready for college because you can't read well enough. And I was one of those people who learned to read pretty easily. Some of us do. And it doesn't have to do with intelligence, by the way. This is one of the things that I've learned. It's a lot of people, a lot more than many people probably think, have a hard time learning how to read. They can learn how to read, but they really need someone to teach them how to do it. Some of us, the minority of us, don't need a lot of instruction. But what all this scientific research that's been done over the last 50 years, which I'll come back to, has shown us is that explicit instruction is really critical um, for most people to become good readers. And some kids, and maybe one of your daughters who we were just talking about, may need a lot of instruction and like a lot of repetition. But anyway, to go back to my sort of origin story with this, I was a kid who learned to read pretty easily. I don't think I needed much instruction. I have two boys. They're 20 and 23. I don't think they needed a whole lot of instruction either. They learned to read pretty easily. I think I just kind of assumed that people learn to read mostly by being read to a lot when they're kids, uh, having exposure to lots of books, being motivated to read them. They get a little bit of instruction in school. Of course, I sent my kids off to school. I assumed they'd be taught how to read. They learned how to read. No problem. And then it was talking to these college students and actually hearing that word dyslexia, which I didn't really know very much about. So there was this one student in particular who told me that she had dyslexia, which is what she had found out about herself. But what was so amazing to me is that she talked about how no one had ever really taught her how to read. She just didn't know how to do it. No one had identified her with dyslexia or given her any help. So what happened is I sort of wound it back. I was doing all of this reporting on who gets access to higher education and different kinds of higher education. Then I came across this big stumbling block that many people run into, which is sort of getting stuck in these remedial classes. And I thought, ah, maybe I need to go look look at what's happening in the beginning. Maybe we have all kinds of kids with dyslexia who aren't (laughs) getting the help they need. 
And I think that's true. So I started looking at dyslexia, but what I learned, like my eyes just started being opened to the fact that all of this stuff has been understood about reading and how it works. Why, what dyslexia is and why some kids have a really, really hard time learning to read, but also all of this other research that has just revealed to us how reading works. Like, how do we do that? How does that even work? How do we learn to do it? What do we need to learn? So really what happened is I was hearing the stories from parents, moms like you, who had this moment of realizing like something, my kid is really struggling and the school doesn't seem to know what to do about it. Or sometimes maybe the school even is not even saying it's a problem. I'm seeing some problem at home, but they're saying, she's fine. It's fine. We're going to find her the right book. She's going to get motivated. Anyway, that's where this journey started for me. And, um, I have just been reporting on this topic for six years and the sold a story podcast, which came out last fall is six episodes, but there are actually two more that a lot of people don't realize that came out in May. So go back and check those out. And we have okay. another one that's going to be coming out sometime in the new year. And the, the bonus episodes are about uh, the response to the podcast. Um, who's been hearing it? The parents, many teachers, many teachers. That's who I'm hearing from more than any other category. Kids, kids are hearing the way that they taught how to read in Zolda Story. And then the other bonus episode is about the response to it on a policy level. Uh, there's been a lot of legislative change as a result. Oh, interesting. Well, I think what that's, that's something we need to cover because you, teachers have had a response. And one of the things that I think was eye-opening to me as I'm listening, because I'm listening to your podcast and you're talking about all these strategies that they were using in our school, which is like, you know, sight words and whole word language and, and memorizing words rather than learning to sound out words and why they sound the way they do and all of that. And I mean, we've had this conversation of phonics and whole word language, but it goes beyond that, what I was hearing. But the interesting part about it is I think from a political standpoint, there's always a black and white, you know, this is right and this is wrong. But when it was a non-political conversation, it's just a conversation of why are we, why do we have so many kids that are struggling? Then you start to unpack that these strategies that came out as a, a great product that was sold to our public schools and to all schools really it, it turns out that that may have been the way that kids who were struggling to read those those strategies they were using. So now, now we're taking good readers and we're giving them the strategies yeah. kids that struggle use to actually learn yeah. to read. And teachers were saying, wow, maybe this isn't right. It wasn't offensive to the teachers. The te and, and this isn't on the teachers. This is the program the teachers have been given. And even teachers came out and said, yeah, maybe this isn't the best way to teach them. That I thought was fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, so what you just said there, I think is a point to just reiterate for the audience, which is this is the big aha moment for me to realize several years ago, back in 2019, I did a reporting project, which was specifically about these strategies that kids are taught about how to read words when they come across words they don't know, what are they supposed to do? And they do things like, they're, they're being told in classrooms to do things like, look at the picture. Think of a word that makes sense. Look yes. at the first letter of the word. Look at the last letter of the word. What's really interesting Chunky is monkey. Those, there's all these of, different things that they call it. I mean, that's how I, I listen. I'm the yes. fish. Chunky monkey. 
Yes, yes. And I remember doing this with my kids and I'm like, wait, we're chunking up this word to see if they can find a word that they recognize inside of the word that then they can maybe figure out what the rest of the word says, which I thought, I guess that's how we do it now. But then when I listened to what you had to say, I'm like, well, that makes sense that that's not a great way to do it. But I was in that category of people who's like, okay, the school knows best. I'm going to send my kid there and they're going to learn to read. Absolutely. I think every parent, you know, you you basically go in trusting, right? And, you know, I think no small part of this is the role that the pandemic played. So Mm -hmm. we can sort of wind back and talk about some of the historical reasons and how this came to be. But there's been a lot of parent activism over the past 10 or 15 years, particularly the parents of kids with dyslexia, right? So those are the kids who are really harmed the most when schools are not teaching reading in ways that line up with what we know about how people learn to read. And the big aha about those word reading strategies that you said before is that when schools teach kids those strategies, it turns out that they are teaching them the very things that struggling readers do to get by. Because people who are struggling with reading can have, there can be lots of reasons why reading is hard for you, but a core reason, sort of the most common and most debilitating source of reading problems goes back to you just really have trouble with the words. You don't know very well how to sound them out. You haven't gotten good practice in that. You haven't actually sort of mapped those words into your memory. So they're there for instant retrieval because you never really learned how to sound them out. You don't need to be taught these strategies. You actually don't need to be told, look at the letter, first letter, look at the picture, think of a word that makes sense. That's what people do when they haven't been taught how to sound out the words. They're thinking, what am I going to do with this word? That's what they sort of figure out to do. So that was the huge aha. Without realizing it, these strategies made their ways into schools and teachers were teaching kids to read in the ways that struggling readers read. Hmm. And I think, yeah, so that, so that, that was a big aha for me. And the Soul to Story podcast was really about how did that happen? How did that happen? Because it doesn't seem like it could happen. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that we have actually been arguing about how to teach reading in this country for a long time. In fact, you can go back to the founding of public education in this country and see that there were like crazy fights in this fabulously uh, like uh, this, this 19th century way where these people were fighting with each other about how to teach reading. And they were very much fighting about phonics. So phonics has been at the center of sort of the wars about reading for a really long time. And I think in a lot of ways, um, it's been hard to break through. It's become sort of politicized and it's become such a battle for so long that people sort of assume that this is number one, all about phonics, which it isn't, which we can come back to. Um, and number two, there's been sort of an assumption that phonics is somehow traditional or old fashioned or conservative. And it has been touted by some sort of conservatives and people on the right. Um, but I think Isn't one that of the funny things that, that such- something that's just a learning process can become. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is, quote, worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. So you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. 
or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets, so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com tutor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the thing that really struck me, I think, as I was going through this, because coming out of a political race, I'm like, oh my gosh, are we just really making putting these kids in a worse position? Because it's like when politicians talk about something, it becomes weaponized. And therefore, that's why I said it's like the solution no one's actually looking for because everybody wants to fight. And yet our kids can't read. Uh, I think that's a really good point. And actually, I have to say that I feel kind of helpful, hopeful uh, on uh, the fact that I think there is starting to be a lot of bipartisan, multipartisan agreement on all of that. Like, I think mm. a lot of people come to this and sometimes assume that their old notions of how this is political and how those politics play out. And they're surprised. Like education upsets the apple cart all the time on politics. But this, this issue in particular, I mean, I have people following me on social media on the far right, the far left and everywhere in between. And I remember even when I was starting to talk to all of these cognitive scientists and others who've been doing all this really amazing research over the last 50 years or so that's really revealed all kinds of things that we didn't know just about how our brains learn to read. I remember I, you know, getting to that political question, because there's inevitably there's so much politics around this. You've been studying this for so long. Like, what are your politics? Just tell me a little bit. Are you, you know, are you coming? Is there any kind of political game in here for you? And, you know, for the most part, a lot of these scientists are very left. You 
that these are people in America's universities are like, no, I mean, I don't come to this with any kind of partisan agenda. Uh, I have just been studying how reading works in the brain and how people learn to do that and what do kids need to be taught to become good readers. That is beautiful. And honestly, I, I will tell you that my the person who sent me your podcast is a dear friend of mine who's very much on the left. And I got this text and I was like, <laughs> I mean, full disclosure, I'm like, oh, what's this going to be? You know? And I'm like, oh, I, I love this person. I'm going to listen to this because they sent it to me and they're important to me, but I'm not going to agree with it. <laughs> That's what I thought. And so right? the first, I mean, the first few minutes I was like, Oh my word, this is what we are living too right now, you know, with my littlest one. And I sent it to my mom, who was a reading specialist years and years ago. And she was like, This is what I haven't been able to. It's like, it's hard. You do such a great job of explaining it because it's hard to put into words why you think that this isn't working because it feels like it should work. Because yeah. so many people, I mean, you say that it's about 67,000 elementary schools in the U.S. are using this program, right? It's a lot. It's become very widespread. And I think it's also really important to recognize that Soul to Story does actually focus on some particular programs and particular people who have been kind of the brand name version of these ideas. You know, they're sort of like the Kleenex or the Google or whatever mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. ideas. But as we say in the very first episode, these ideas are very widespread. They're in lots of materials. There's lots of publishing companies. They're sort of baked into um, ideas that I think a lot of people in education have in their head about reading and how it works. So that's sort of how I, what I was trying to figure out years ago is I was like, I think there's some sort of ideas. There's like an ocean that everyone's swimming in about reading and how to teach it. And it does, and you can buy this curriculum or that curriculum or that curriculum, but somehow you still get these ideas because there's a little bit of it in a lot of curriculum and it's passed around from teacher to teacher, all those little eagle eye and chunky monkey, you know, you go on teachers pay teacher, you go on to yes. Google, you will find zillions of those, right? That is not one publisher selling that to the nation. That's lots of people selling different versions of that. But it's all because there was a certain idea about how this all works that got into people's minds. And I'll tell you that here's, here's one of the reasons how I think it happened. I think we fought about phonics for a long time. So that was kind of like the lighter fluid in the wars about reading. And so in some ways, in some ways, those wars kind of ostensibly ended, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago when this thing called balanced literacy came in, which was really supposed to be the best of both worlds, which was, um, we're not the same old sort of whole language people who are saying no phonics, no phonics, no phonics. We're going to say fine to phonics. We're going to add a little bit of phonics in, but we're going to stick to all these other things too. We're still going to teach all those other strategies. And that's the idea that Soul to Story is trying to sort of reveal and explain. And it's really subtle. It's this really subtle idea. Like all of Soul to Story, all eight episodes of Soul to Story are just about one idea. It's like six hours of listening. And the idea is basically beginning readers don't have to sound out the written words as they're learning how to read. They can, but they don't have to because we can teach them all these other strategies to figure out what the words say. That's such a subtle idea. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a very, very big deal because it turns out that if you are not really laboriously 
sounding out those words when you're starting to learn to read them. They have a hard time getting into your brain, into your memory, so that they're there and available for you in an instant. You and I are both good readers. We know tens of thousands of word, words instantly on sight, but it's because at some point, maybe when we mm. were like six or seven years old, we sounded that word out very laboriously. We connected the sounds in the word with the spelling of the word and the meaning of the word. And those three things, the sound, the spelling, and the meaning, when those three things get linked in your brain, it, that word gets into your brain, and that is what allows you to be able to comprehend what you read. Because the words themselves aren't requiring a lot of, of work, right? Every once in a while, you'll come across a word that you don't see that much or you've never seen before. You have to stop, pause, think about it, sound it out, maybe look it up, whatever. But most of the words that we're reading, you've just got. So you are able to focus your attention on the meaning of what you're reading. But for people who struggle with reading, they're focusing a lot of their attention just on the words themselves. They're struggling. They're trying to figure them out. They're trying to recall them from memory. And so it's hard to focus on the meaning of what you're reading. And reading is really slow. So anyway, I think one of the reasons why those ideas took off, which when you kind of start to point out that they don't make sense, I think the reason they made sense is because English is actually a pretty difficult language to learn how to read. English is probably one of the most difficult alphabetic languages to learn. So even like a typically developing kid who doesn't have any kind of reading disability is probably going to take like two or three years with some instruction. Some kids need a lot. Some kids don't need much. But there's a few years you're going to need to really master the basics of how to like decode the English language because it's complex. We have complex spelling patterns. People say like English is a wacky language, but it's actually not. It's actually this really fascinating kind of melting pot language, right? Because English is based on like Greek and Latin and French and Anglo-Saxon. And we borrow words from other languages all the time. It's actually this really cool language. And you can explain the spelling of virtually every English word if you sort of look at its history. Where does it come from? And first of all, that stuff is fascinating. So I think one of the reasons people didn't like phonics is they thought it would be boring to kids. But the truth mm -hmm. is that words and how they're spelled, it's so interesting. There's all kinds of opportunities to like really teach kids cool stuff. But I think because English is difficult to learn, means it's difficult to teach. And there's a lot that teachers need to know about how written English works that a lot of us don't know. You can be a good reader without being able to explain how English words are spelled. But if you're teaching first grade and you're teaching kids to do this, you actually need to know quite a bit more than you and I do about English and how it works. I don't know that a lot of first grade teachers thought they were in for that. Uh, and a lot of them didn't get that kind of training. It's, it's, we don't have very good teacher training just sort of overall. And they probably went There's through a lot, a lot of these same strategies when they learned to read. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's that. Like a lot hmm. of them learned it in their teacher preparation programs and learned it themselves, which means I think we're at a whole other point with the way that this stuff is infused, the culture, because the teachers themselves didn't even learn many of them how to sound out words when they were in school. So I think these things caught on because teachers desperately want to teach their students how to read. I have not met a stud teacher who doesn't. No one goes to school thinking, I am going to make sure that these kids, that I teach these kids the habits of struggling readers. No right, one is doing that. No, Absolutely no one. So you're getting into school. You don't know what you need to know about written English and how it works. You actually don't know as a teacher what you need to know about just how kids learn to read and why something like phonics instruction is so important. So you're kind of like, and what do I do? 
I have 20, 25, 30 kids and I need to teach them how to read. Oh, here are these strategies. These strategies can help kids get into books. It's a way to get them started. I can teach them, oh, you're reading along, you come to a word you don't know, what, you can, what can you do? It kind of gets kids going. And the assumption is that if you kind of get kids going, they'll turn into readers. And some of them do. But too many of them don't. And that's what you're seeing, I think, when you see the dramatically poor reading scores uh, we have and, in this country. And two of my girls, what I noticed with with two of them is that they can read the words, but they don't retain what they meant. I don't know how to explain that. It's like they can't the yeah. comprehension of reading. They'll, they read it to get through it. But then I'll and just last night I was working with my sixth grader and she has to read this article and then tell me what she got from the article. And she took a sentence and she's like, that's what it meant. And I'm like, you just gave me the exact sentence from the article. No, I'm like, what mm. did that article mean to you? And it was a, a really eye-opening moment where I said to myself, here's my 12-year-old and I'm not fully sure that she can understand what she just read, that she can grasp the whole concept. And she struggles with spelling too At in sixth grade. I have a sixth yeah. grader who struggles with comprehension and spelling. And I have to say, I feel like it all ties back to what you're talking about. I mean, I can't, you know, obviously I cannot say for sure. Uh, there could be a lot of different things going on, but I do, I, I think that's one of the reasons I've stayed on this for years is because I've heard from a lot of middle school and high school teachers who have told me like, who have talked about how kids really struggle with reading and they've sort of vaguely diagnosed it as a comprehension problem, which it is. But I think one of the things that many of them are realizing is that it goes back to some sort of word level reading problems. And it can start, you know, it's not one of the things that I think is really important to understand. There's this thing called the Matthew effect, and it comes from the Bible story. It's like basically the rich get richer when it comes to reading, right? So kids go into school, and then if they get off to a good start in reading, there's this real reciprocal relationship between learning how to decode and read the words, and then reading and getting better at reading and learning more about language and how it works and learning new words through reading, right? So there's this way that the kids who get off to a good start just start sort of doing really, really well. And then kids who don't get off to a good start just sort of, it's not like it's not like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's like the rich get richer and the poor just get a little bit less poor every year. And that's where mm. these big gaps come in. So when you have a child in sixth grade, a lot of things have probably happened and she may be able to read the words. I don't know when you listen to her read out loud, is she kind of slow? Does she stumble over the words or is she just fluent and she can read them pretty easily? She, um, she's slow. I think she's slower than what I would imagine my oldest would have been at that age. It, it's funny because I have yeah, two yeah. that are very good readers that just picked it up and two that struggle. Mm -hmm. And they're, I, last night, my, one of my, my youngest ones, one of the twins, the 10 year old, um, we were both reading through something at the same time. And I walked away and she said, are you finished reading that already? She, How did you do that yeah. so fast? So they notice yeah. it too. It's not like they're, they yeah. don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, I think if you, you know, often when people are slow at reading, it is interfering with their ability to comprehend, right? Because they are spending a lot of time sort of working out the words. But mm -hmm. I think one of the other things that starts to happen is because I think we're, I think a lot of schools are not getting early reading instruction right. It sort of compromises what teachers can do all the way up. 
So they end up having a lot of kids in their classes in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade who are struggling with reading. And I think that compromises sort of the level at which they can teach. And so I think even some of the other things that would be necessary for a child in sixth grade to really be good at comprehending what they read, some of the kinds of comprehension strategies that that maybe she hasn't been taught or learned a lot of that either. So it's probably not just a word level problem at this point, but it probably has its roots in a word level problem. And this stuff gets really complicated and messy as kids get older. And I will say it gets complicated and messy in a lot of other ways, because when kids struggle, a lot of times they really, um, they feel bad about themselves. They feel kind of embarrassed. They feel insecure. It's like very common for kids. Yeah. As, yep. And for kids, especially boys, to start to distract from their reading problems by having behavior problems. And it's very common for other kids to shut down. Often girls, you become the quietest one. You don't want anyone to call on you. You don't want to be read uh, allowed to in class. And you don't like school. And it was it was really it was it was parents I was talking to who were talking about like kids would this one woman was talking about how her dot she had like her daughter's fingernails had like scraped the door frame of the front door because she would like hold on to the door and not want to be taken to the school bus. You know, she just like didn't oh, want to go to school. That's heartbreaking. I know. Oh, I know. Gosh, it stinks and it's so hard because we look at this and I think you're right. Everybody wants kids to learn to read. There's nobody that goes and, and, and no parent that says, oh, this one doesn't need to read. And there's no teacher that says this one will be fine. I mean, how much good is reading going to do them? That just doesn't happen. And so when I listened to your podcast, I was like, wow, wow, this is a whole new world of we could have, I mean, so much opportunity. So how do you take that and create something that works for kids? How do we, how do we make these changes? You said there's legislation how do we do this without people immediately putting up their wall? Because I think that yeah. with education, a lot of people put up a wall right away. They do. It's true. I mean, and, uh, you know, changing education is hard. Schools are complex. You know, school systems are complex. Change doesn't happen quickly. Uh, this stuff does get caught up in politics. Um, so there have been, there's been a lot of legislative action. Um, some of it in response to Solda's story, but really there was a huge wave of legislative action over the past like 15 or 20 years with things like good implementing that schools have to screen kids because you really want to catch kids early when they're struggling. You really want to know who's struggling. Are they using good screeners, good assessments? There's been some not very good assessments in schools. You know, are they really getting the kind of help they need? Is a mom who goes in and says, my kid is struggling, does the school have a plan for them? Does the school know what to do? So a lot of the legislation was focusing on that. Since Sold a Story, we've seen a real uptick in legislation that's focusing on the curriculum. And that's, I guess, not a surprise because we focused a lot on the curriculum. I think it's important to recognize that while sort of getting rid of curriculum that has wrong ideas in it, it may be really important. The solution isn't necessarily just buy a new curriculum. Go out and buy a new curriculum. Yeah, the school board, the superintendent says, use this. Three years from now, we should expect, you know, kids will be reading better. That is not going to happen. That hasn't happened because this is complicated stuff. It's so much more of it really has to do with the teacher knowledge, the teacher uptake. Is the teacher using it? Has the teacher gotten good training on how to use it? There's no perfect curriculum out there either. You know, people are saying, you know, go get a science of reading mm. curriculum, but there's no such thing. You know, the science of reading is a body of research. It's not a thing you do. It's not a program you buy. It's not a law you pass. You know, it's a, it's a body of research that 
thousands of cognitive scientists and psychologists and other researchers all over the world in all kinds of languages have been studying reading for the past 50 years. And what my reporting has really focused on is what does that research say? Why haven't teachers and schools known more about it? And now the question is, what do we do? So this is where, you know, many, many teachers are looking up and saying to the people above them, the principals, the superintendents, the school boards, their state legislature, help me. I need help. I need better materials. I need better training. So a lot of this legislative response is, is, is in response to that. People on the bottom saying, please help. But of course, every kind of legislative response has unintended consequences, right? And I think when things get too top down, yep. um, you just, there's a, it's a careful balance between top down and bottom up. And I think we're just, we're really in the midst of that. There's been a wave of legislation. And I think that's legislation can get people's attention on a problem, right? But just because you pass a law doesn't mean that the law is going to get implemented well, that it's going to get followed. So there's a lot to be done for everyone to do to kind of keep their eyes on are these laws having their intended effect? Are they being implemented well? Is there the proper support training? A lot of times that means money uh, to implement this well. There's a lot to keep an eye on. <laughs> Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. From just this talk today that we have teachers listening, that we have school board members listening, and they just go, wow, this is an opportunity to bring some some something extra to the school to make sure that our kids are succeeding because we have horrendous reading proficiency rates across the country and people can say oh it's in certain districts but we're seeing it no matter what it doesn't matter what district you're in you can still have a terrible reading proficiency rate and that is like i said no matter what you want to do in the future and no matter what class you are in whether it's math or science or history you have to yeah. be able to read and so this is just holding kids behind in every area so i'm excited that i mean we could talk about this i could talk to you about this for hours um but you did talk about it for about six hours so i want people to go <laughs> listen to that because i really i mean I cannot tell you if you have kids in school or if you have grandchildren, you will listen to this podcast and it will be an aha moment and it will inspire you to, even if it's not at your school, to at home, take a look at things differently. Because I, like I said, I sent it right to my mom. We were both like, oh my goodness, this is wild because now you just see what and you, ha I mean, I got to tell you, I felt guilty because I'm like, how did I not see some of this? But but I don't think like the teachers who even said, well, I just thought this was the best way. So tell people um, who are listening where they can go to get the podcast, listen to the podcast and, and follow you. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is, quote, worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets, so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. 
Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash tutor If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Soul to Story. So you can just go to your favorite podcast app if you're a podcast listener and just uh, put in Soul to Story. We have a website, soldastory.org, so you can listen to it all there. You can also find links. Um, we have some articles there. We have a piece. Of, we have an article which is about some of the legislative um, action that's taken place uh, in the wake of Soul to Story. And you can follow me. I'm on formerly known as Twitter X at e Hanford. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope you do listen and check out the two bonus episodes and stay tuned to your feed because there's going to be another episode coming in the new year. Good. I'm going to check those out. And honestly, I, I hope that people here will share. I've shared it on Twitter formally or X formally known as Twitter, whatever we call it now. I've shared it several times. And I honestly think that it's sort of one of those things where I am considered a Republican. So people are like, oh, it's some crazy thing. So I'm hoping that there are people who are tuning in. But for all of the people who are listening to this podcast, you have the power to share this. And it's not it's not political. This is about getting kids to read, which I love. I just love it, honestly. So thank you, Emily Hanford. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you for your interest. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us on this very cool episode of the Tudor Dixon podcast. For this episode and others, you can check out TudorDixonPodcast.com. Subscribe right there or go to the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts and join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day.
Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator. Generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.